you could be this morning uh, on a beach somewhere in West Michigan at the lake, um, but you're here this morning, and that is incredible. We're so thankful for those of you who decided to choose to spend their, your Sundays here with us. It makes a huge difference, man, when there are all of your smiling faces here, those relationships, reconnecting after summer vacations and travel. Uh, all of that is just beautiful to see and brings so much energy to our gathering. So we're so thankful for all of you who are worshiping with us here this morning and, of course, all those that are traveling, too. Uh, happy for them as well to get that rest and break. Uh, but if you're new, if you are a guest here at Redemption City Church, I want to welcome you. We have little connect cards in the pews in front of you there. If you want to dr- grab one of those, drop them on the box on the way out. We'd love to connect. Either Pastor Josh or I would love to grab coffee, hear a little bit more story, connect with you, get to know you a little bit better. But if you're new, um, just want to extend a big welcome to you uh, this morning. And this morning we have a special privilege uh, to get to welcome the Liddells back from Peru. So, Tony, you, you want to come on up here? <clears throat> All right, I, I give you a little microphone here. Um, Tony and Megan, when, how long ago have you guys been on the field now? Um, it's been a little over a year. So A little over a year, yeah. right? And so you guys have brought your whole family, yeah, relocated mm-hmm. to, like, the rainforest of, like... Yep. Of like Peru, like what have you guys been up to? What's been going yeah. on? <laughs> Give us a little yeah. bit of the scoop here. So uh, for those who don't know me, like you said, I'm Tony, and <laughs> um, me and my wife Megan and our two kids Eliana and Elias, uh, we live in Pucallpa, Peru, which is uh, in the jungle. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's been a big adjustment, and uh, we work with Kids Alive International, which is an organization that works with vulnerable kids and also at-risk families, families that are. Um, uh, just on track to just ha- head down a bad path, and we, we intercept those families and work with the kids so that, and the families so that way those kids are not put into um, uh, social, the social system. And uh, it's, it's been a huge adjustment. We've been learning a lot. We've been working on our Spanish the last year, uh, a lot of working on Spanish and uh, different dialects and stuff. We had a change from Lima to Bucalpa, so big difference. Uh, and then also just adapting to our work and uh, what we do there. My wife does a lot with the sponsorship. So if you go on the Kid Live page, you can see some of the work she's done and the bios that she does with the kids and um, connecting those kids with, uh, with sponsors here in the States. And, uh, and then we do uh, teams. So we do service team hosts. Uh, we had one team already this year, and it's been a really just a great privilege to be able to work with um, people and People introduce people to our ministry there on site in Peru and uh, just show them the, the difference we're making in kids' lives with the gospel and the families and the communities in the area. And uh, it's just, it's been a great privilege. It's cool. Biggest, biggest shock, culture shock down there and being in that part oh of the Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, besides the, the heat, constant heat in the jungle and the bugs it's it's the bugs are the worst so <laughs> most people would think that the mosquitoes are going to be right. the worst thing but right. i would take the mosquitoes over the ants any day there's <laughs> ants in our outlets in our in our like all parts of our house if you leave something out it's going to be covered in ants in a matter of minutes and it's just <laughs> it's a battle but it's a it's it's kind of humorous now we just look at it as a kind of it's a joke. She's shaking her head. No, it's not funny. <laughs> I've seen some very large spiders as well in some yeah, of those posts. Yep. Lots like, of spiders. Tarantulas. We've come to 
be friends with the tarantulas. We let them be. They eat the other bugs, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, what are you guys most excited about? What has been the most fun for you? And yeah. Megan, as you guys are stepping into this. Yeah. We, we love uh, hosting teams. Like, we had one team already. That was our, our first experience. And uh, it was just great. It's great to see people come in. And, like, you, like, you go into this and you think, how much am I going to change people's lives? Like, yeah. what am I going to do to change people's lives? And you don't realize the impact that the ministry, um, seeing a different culture, working with kids, how much it changes your life. And that's how it's been for us. And it's amazing to see that happen with other people who come and visit um, we're just excited about continuing that, working yeah. with teams, working with people from the states and introducing them yeah. to the ministry. Man, well, our church has a huge heart for you know, foster care, adoption, and uh, uh-huh. here and our family, obviously very big, love to welcome kids in from Central America. And so it's so cool to see you guys doing that in Peru, bringing it there and keeping families together, keeping kids in that culture where they're able to yeah. be able to you know, at some point, you know, grow up, be reunited or whatever. I'm, that's, that's amazing. We're so excited. We're 100% just thrilled that you guys could be down there and that we can have any part in the work that you guys are doing and be able to support you. So is there anything we can pray for you guys particularly? Um, as we're yeah, uh, just <clears throat> continual prayer for the adjustment. Uh, we, still got, we still got ways to go with Spanish. We, yeah. we are able to communicate, but there are times where it's difficult, and especially where we're at, if it, uh, the jungle, it's just different. People talk differently, and you have to learn a lot of different slang. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, been, it's hard to communicate heart-to-heart. And so that's what we want to do is be able to connect with people in the community, connect with those around us. And so just pray that we will continually be learning that and adapting to that. And just pray for our travels. We're leaving this week, going back to Peru. And uh, so we'll be heading back there, and it'll be a big adjustment for, for me and my wife and also our kids just leaving behind, again, our, our families and uh, grandparents and all that. So it's always a, a thing that we need prayer for and to keep, uh, keep on going on. Cool. Cool. What's the best way to follow you guys in your ministry, what you're doing, what you're up to? Yeah. Um, so we have uh, an epistle account, which we do monthly updates, maybe sometimes more. Okay. And uh, if you would like to get that, we'd, we'd love to take your email. We can connect you to that. And uh, after the service, we can do that and I think you have a Facebook too, right? Yep, and then on Facebook as well, yeah. It's uh, Liddell with Kids Alive, I think it's called. And so if you can find us on Facebook, Megan and uh, Tony Liddell, uh, we're on there as well, and we we do a lot of updates on that as well. It's been really cool watching from a distance and just seeing all the uh, exciting stuff happening down there, and so we're thankful for you guys. And I just want to get a chance to pray for you right now. Yeah. And so, Father, uh, just so uh, thankful for Tony and Megan and just their willingness to... Uh, yeah, accept the call to go out to Peru to care for uh, the most vulnerable kids in that community, to share the good news of Jesus with them, to welcome them into a warm family, to give them the support and encouragement that they need to connect churches here in the U.S. with that work, uh, to be able to bring teams in, to minister to them. Uh, and coordinate all that, God. And so we pray just blessings on their ministry, that you uh, would watch over them every step of this way as they wrap up visits with family and friends. God, would you uh, sustain them through this busy season as they're trying to reconnect with family, friends, and supporting churches. Uh, God, would you give them even a little bit of rest in the midst of the running around? Uh, Would you be with them in their travels as they head back with kiddos and how tricky that is to navigate uh, all the different changes that they're going through right now. Uh, Give them grace. Uh, Would you sustain them? 
uh, in every way. And we pray particularly for language learning as they are learning not just Spanish, but the Spanish in that region and the slang and the tribal dialects. Um, God, we know how tricky and difficult that is. Give these I give the Liddells the gift of tongues here to be able to uh, uh, speak well and winsomely and learn the culture and the tribe and the heart language of these people um, and just bless them in every way so that they could be uh, just a blessing to that people um, and to the world. We thank you as a church that we can support them and encourage them, and so we just pray blessings upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Tony and Megan. Good to see you guys. And so if you didn't get a chance to see them, you should. Uh, you can say hi yet. Please stop by. Give them a hug. Um, uh, it's not often we get them here in town, so it's really cool that we can do that as well. Um, that's all I've got in terms of announcements. Just one other piece too. Um, uh, we give most of you guys we know give online, but giving is an act of worship, and so we want to keep that front and center in our gathering as well. We're not passing the baskets anymore. And so we've just got a box right in the back. You can drop a check on your way out there if you carry those. Checks are great because they don't charge any of that 1.8% convenience fee. So if you can, you can put a check in there instead of giving online, that's wonderful. That'd be super helpful. It helps support wonderful ministry and work like the Liddells, uh, like the work we're doing here in Grand Rapids and what we're doing around the world. So I encourage you to give and to give uh, generously. And so... Uh, with that being said, I get to introduce really quickly our preacher for this morning, and then we'll have our scripture reader come. Uh, but we get our very own Sebastian Ramos, our own Church Plenty resident, is coming out this morning to fill in as part of our summer preaching cohort. Um, one of the things we really believe in at Redemption City is raising up young leaders, young pastors, young preachers. And so you're going to hear lots of different voices this summer as we are really seeking to raise up uh, the next generation of pastors and planters. And Sebastian is one of those guys, and I am really excited. Got to spend time Wednesday morning hanging out, going through sermon prep with him and just seeing uh, just how he's digging into God's Word. And so we are so excited. What a privilege to hear from him this morning. I can't wait. Uh, for it. But before you get to come on up here, Sebastian, I'm going to have our... It's so good to be uh, here with you today. Uh, Like Mike said, my name is Sebastian Ramos, and I just feel honored and humbled to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. But before I do that, I just want to mention one thing. Redemption City, I am so thankful for all of you guys. Um, My wife and I have been here for now a little over a year, um, and we have felt so blessed and encouraged and edified by each one of you. We're so grateful to be a part of this church and we're excited to labor for the gospel together with you as we do life together, as we um, grow in faith together, we live out the gospel together and we get to witness what God is doing in our church, in our community, in our city. It has been a pleasure and we are honored to be part of this church. So without being said, um, I just want to start with a little bit of a recap This past three weeks, we have been walking through the book of Mark, the gospel according to uh, Mark. And uh, we have been able to see uh, how Mark is actually preparing us to encounter Jesus, to encounter who Jesus is and what his mission is all about and what his ministry is all about. And I just want to say that if you haven't had the chance to listen to the previous sermons, uh, you can go to our Facebook page and find them or our, uh, our podcast, and I promise you, when you listen to them, you will be edified. 
And so, so far, like I mentioned, we have seen how Mark uh, begins to give us a beautiful picture of what the mission of Jesus is all about. We see uh, how John the Baptist is setting up the stage for uh, Jesus to be revealed, and then we get to see uh, John the Baptist, when he baptizes Jesus, we get to see Jesus' identity being confirmed by the Father and by the Holy Spirit. And friends, this is a beautiful picture of the Trinity, and I, I love it. And shortly after, we get to see how uh, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he is going to be tempted um, and before his ministry, his public ministry begins. And last Sunday, we were able to uh, talk about the miracles that Jesus uh, performed. We see Jesus uh, performing the miracle with the a leopard. We see Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, we see Jesus uh, cleaning the men with an unclean spirit. We see Jesus performing many, uh, or many, many miracles. And this is the big idea for this sermon for us. And that is to reveal that only Jesus has the authority to forgive sins and the power to meet our needs. That only Jesus has the authority to forgive sins and the power to meet our needs. And my hope with this sermon and the, the, the aim for this sermon is that we would be uh, able to see the authority and the power of Jesus and that we would recognize, that we would recognize the need that we have for Jesus this morning. So before we dive into the sermon, I just want to invite you to pray with me this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning to you, to your presence with humble hearts, asking that this morning you would move, that your spirit would move in our hearts, that uh, you would help us to hear what you have for us, that you would open our minds to understand your words and open our eyes to see your beauty and supremacy and glory and your radiance this morning. Father, we just pray that you would do that work in us. I pray that my words would be few so that your word would penetrate the hearts of your people this morning and that your word would take root in our hearts. Would you do that work in us this morning? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, in this story, the passage that we just read, what are we seeing? What is happening here? You see, at this time, Jesus had effected effectively began his ministry. And all the people from the area of Galilee were intrigued and they were excited about the preaching of Jesus because after all, Jesus was preaching with something different than the rest. He had authority and people were noticing that. So in the beginning of the chapter, we see uh, Jesus, uh, he's coming back to his house and we see Jesus uh, preaching the word, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He's preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand to repent and to believe. And we see that many were gathered where Jesus was. Now I imagine a lot of the people in the story uh, are probably there, and I don't know, this is just me thinking, are probably there because they've seen what Jesus has been doing. They've seen the miracles. And I mean, if I was one of them, I would say, I want to be there because I want my miracle. Right? Like very much all about me. I want my miracle. That's why I'm going to be there. And now, in this story, we see a group of men that I don't think that was their intention. Because we see a group of four men that they're carrying a paralytic man in his bed because they wanted his friend to encounter 
Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. They wanted him to encounter Jesus. And the faith of these friends was so great, it was so evident, that they were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend in front of Jesus. They believed who Jesus was, they believed what Jesus said, and they believed that only Jesus had the authority and the power to heal And in this case, we see what they begin to do. They try to get into the house, but they can't get in because there's just so many people. There's not even room to stand by the door. So what they do is they actually go around and they uh, begin to unroof a house. This is crazy. We unroof the house. And houses, obviously, back then didn't look the same way as they look now. I mean, in fact, this is what a house would kind of like look like the stairs from the outside of the house and the the roof would be made out of like clay and grass very different than what we have now now imagine being in that house and all of a sudden uh, you're listening to jesus preach and you feel grass on your head and then on your shirt like clay like what is what is going on and you look up And then you begin to see this little hole and a lot of noises. And you see the hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you see somebody being brought down. You see these four men struggling with the ropes, trying to get their friend down to encounter Jesus. And this is where the story gets even more interesting. Because now that the paralytic man is in front of Jesus, it would be easy to believe that the first thing that Jesus would do would be to... Heal him, right? That would be the immediate uh, need that we would see from the paralytic. And after all, in this context, this is what the people were there for, to experience miracles. So they wanted to see that. But we see in verse 5, this is what Jesus says. Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine how these friends felt after all the trouble that they went to to get their friend in front of Jesus? I can just imagine them shouting like, no, Jesus, he is paralyzed. Like he cannot move. We're bringing him here so he can walk not to be forgiven. His need is to walk. Can you you see that in your head? But here you see Jesus was not looking at the superficial need of this man. He was actually looking at his deepest need. And this drives me to my first point. That is that Jesus knows our deepest need. Just like he knew the deepest need of the paralytic man, he also knows our deepest need. And you see, when Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven, this is without a doubt, friends, shocking to everyone. This is shocking everyone. Even though the paralytic clearly demonstrated the need that he had for healing, Jesus knew that he actually needed a different kind of healing. He had a different need. And don't get me wrong, this is, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't care about our physical needs. Please, friends, do not hear that. That's not what I'm saying here. Jesus cares about our physical needs. He does. But more importantly, Jesus cares about the healing 
of our spiritual paralysis. That's the key. You see, if I was to ask you right now to create a list with all of your needs, and you would rank them from top to bottom, all your physical needs, your financial needs, you know, with family or whatever the case may be, and you were to list them. And if I told you, hey, your number one need, you can bring that here today, and God will meet that need. Just think about it. What would that be? When I was going through that list for myself, um, I found myself saying things like this. And I don't, you probably, I hope that you can relate with this. I was saying, God, if I just had this new job, my life would be better. I need this new job. God, if I had this new house, oh, my life would be so much better. I, I, I need a new house. I need a bigger house. Or God, I need a new car. Or God, if I had a better salary. For me, for some of you uh, who are single, God, if I just had a spouse. Or maybe for some of us that are married, God, if we could just have kids. Right? Like, we tend to confuse the things that we want with the things that we actually need because sometimes we make our physical needs our priority, our main need. And yes, don't get me wrong, those things are good. It is good to have our, our physical needs met. It is good to have shelter and to have food and to have car and, and all of those things. Those things are good. But hear me this morning. If we die without our sins being forgiven, if we die without placing our hope and our trust in Christ, then what benefit are all of those things for us? What's the benefit? Mark 3, 36 says this, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Here Jesus is intentionally and gently addressing the deepest need. This is because Jesus knows that sin has separated us from God. We read Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and have fallen short. Right? We read Ephesians 2, which is one of my favorite, I mean for my Calvinistic friends, you guys probably know this by memory. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Jesus knows that our sinful nature, and not only that, but our sinful actions, caused us to be spiritually crippled. In fact, to be accurate, spiritually dead. And this is the reason why Jesus doesn't waste any time and addresses the paralytic's actual need. You see, the main problem the paralytic had was not his paralysis. It wasn't. His biggest problem was that he needed to be made right with God. Friends, this morning there is no greater need for us than to have our sins forgiven. There is no greater need for us than to have our sins forgiven. And this is what we need. If we want to be reconciled with God, we need to have our sins forgiven. But here are the good news. This is why Jesus came. This was his whole purpose. This is why Jesus came and Paul tells us that Jesus didn't come to be served. No, he didn't. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's trespasses against them. Friends, this is good news for us this morning. Jesus knows, and not only does he know our deepest need, but he actually meets our deepest need. You see, the good news this morning is that by the perfect blood of Christ, all of our sins, past, present, future, they have been wiped away. That is good news. We have a reason to rejoice. Now let's look at uh, verse uh, 6 and 7. This is where we get to see uh, the hardened hearts that oppose the work of Jesus. And here is where we begin to see what spiritual paralysis actually looks like in full display. You see, this is the issue that Jesus is addressing here. And I can't help but think, I mean, Jesus knew that this was going to happen. He knows why the scribes are there. And in fact, in the accounts, you know how when you compare the Gospels, uh, Gospel of uh, Matthew and Luke, Mark, you see that often they tell the different story with different details, parallel stories. And they're trying to uh, uh, make the same point here. And so if we go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, we see that there's actually not only the scribes, there's actually two groups of people in this story. One is the scribes, and then the other ones are the Pharisees. And I, don't, I know that Pastor Mike uh, gave a little intro about that in the first sermon in the series, uh, but... I just want to uh, make it in, in, in plain uh, words, simple words. Who are these groups? Who are the Pharisees? They're the guardians of the law, basically. They are uh, the guardians of all the legalistic traditions of the Jewish law. And often, often, very often, they saw themselves as the most holy men. And what about the scribes here? Well, the scribes are more like the theologians of the day, right? Like they are the biblical uh, scholars, and their task was to basically copy and preserve and, and interpret the scriptures to the people. So not every Pharisee was a scribe, and not every scribe was a Pharisee. And in this story, we see them watching everything unfold. They're paying attention, right, from the crowd, from Jesus and his preaching, from uh, now this man being lowered down, the friends, they're looking, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're looking up, and then they're looking at the crowd, and then they're looking at Jesus, and then they look up, and they look at Jesus again. And they're paying attention to everything. And when Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, they are furious. They are angry. Because in their hearts, they're screaming, this is blasphemy. How dare you say that? They knew that only God had the power to forgive sins. Only God alone could forgive sins. So, yeah, they got that right. Only God can forgive the sins. This is why they're so angry. But they got something else very wrong. Just... You see, uh, blasphemy could potentially play out in three different ways. 
The first would be when a person denies an attribute of God. So if a person wants to deny that God was gracious and good and merciful. And then the second would be uh, if a person wants to add an attribute to God that he did not possess. So maybe to say God is wicked, God is evil, right? And then the third one, which I think this is why the Pharisees and the scribes were accusing Jesus of blasphemy, is uh, when somebody claims that they are equal or the same or that they are God. And this is what we're seeing here. And I think it's just funny because I have many friends that are from the Mormon faith, uh, from Jehovah's Witnesses, and they also uh, believe in God. But they would make the argument that, hey, we don't see in Scripture anything that says, uh, or anything like Jesus making the claim that he is God. And I think that's funny because this is precisely and exactly what we're seeing in this passage. Like Jesus is claiming to be God. This is why the Pharisees are like furious. To help us understand a little more, uh, Ken Hudges has a commentary on Mark, and he says this, Of course, our Lord saw everything far more clearly than we do. So he decided to use this charged moment with the paralytic before him to make his point. He was making this point, knowing that the Pharisees and the scribes were looking for something to pin on him. He gave it to them. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes rejected Jesus. They opposed Jesus. Hardened hearts will always oppose Jesus. And friends, the sad reality for us, the heartbreaking reality, is that we live in a world where it is not hard to find people with hardened hearts. They reject Jesus. They oppose Jesus. Sometimes they don't even know it. And as I was preparing for this message, I couldn't help it. I just felt convicted and and burdened about this. And I started to ask myself some questions, and I'm going to ask them to you. What would it look like for us to be like this four friends? What would it look like for us to have the faith that these four friends had? So great, so evident. What would it look like for us to be willing to do whatever it takes to help people encounter Jesus? What would that look like for us? What would it look like in every interaction at work or at school? When we go running or when we go shopping or when we go eat at a restaurant? What would that look like? Let me tell you uh, part of my testimony real quick. I have a friend back in California. His name is Seth. And I met him because I was working at a restaurant, and he was a client. So he would come in, and he would eat, and we would chat, until one day he was about to pay, and he dropped a guitar pick. So we started a conversation, and, oh, I play guitar, oh, me too, oh, that's so cool. You should, and he invited me, you should come over to my house and jam. Total stranger, by the way. And I'm like, why are you inviting me over? You don't know who I am, but okay. And he said, I play at my church, you should come to my church one of these days. At that point in life, I was in a stage of life where I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. I wanted nothing to do with God. I had been raised in a Christian family, had a very uh, negative experience, and I ended up walking away from the faith. And you have now this friend saying, hey, you should come to my church, and you should come over to my house. Get to know my family. He had little kids. I'm like, you're inviting a total stranger to your house where there are little kids. Like, wow. Okay. Let me... Give it a try. So I go. 
and he invites me to his church, and for some reason, I ended up going, and they preach the gospel. And my heart was confronted with the truth. I had a hardened heart. And I tell you this story because I want you to see that Jesus, in that moment, he knew what I needed. I had many physical needs at that moment. Oh, I remember that. But Jesus knew exactly what I needed. And not only that, but Jesus had the authority to confront my heart. He confronted my heart. I like to say that I came to the kingdom kicking and screaming because at that point I was in love with my sin. But Jesus was at work and that's good. That's good news. So that takes me to my third point. And that is that Jesus displayed the fullness of his authority. Jesus displayed the fullness of his authority. In verse 8 through 12, this is where we see the whole interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus and the scribes. This is where um, now they begin to question without even saying, and Jesus is addressing that in his spirit, he knew what they were thinking. So I love what Jesus is doing here. Not only does he know the needs of the paralytic, not only uh, is he confronting the hearts of the Pharisees and the scribes, but he's also confirming his authority. And he does that, I I believe he does that in two ways, probably many others, but I'm just going to mention these two ways here for us. Jesus introduces to us in verse 10, for the very first time in the Gospel of Mark, A very specific title. Very specific title. He gives himself the title of the Son of Man. And this title is actually found 81 times in the Gospels. But what does that title mean? What does it mean? You see, in the Old Testament, the term is used in a couple of ways. I'll just mention the first one. You can find it in Psalm 144, verse 3. And it says this, O Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you think of him. Here it is. The son of man. And when you analyze this passage, you can clearly see it's just talking about a human being. It's it's just a man, a son of man, human being. But now if we go back to Daniel, and we go to Daniel 7, now the title of son of man takes a different meaning. This is what it says. Daniel 7.13 says this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. There it is. One like a son of man. And I want us to to be clear when we read, uh, behold, with the clouds of heaven, like this is giving us a picture of something divine. It's implying that this, the one that came like a son of man has divinity, right? Let's keep reading. And The one like a son of man, he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. And this dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Can you see how the title of Son of Man now takes a different meaning? To help us understand this just a little better, David Platt has a commentary on Mark as well. And he says this about this uh, 
display of authority. He says that Jesus uses the title, the Son of Man, to refer to him with both connotations. As God incarnate, he is a human being who identifies with sinful humanity as he serves and suffers on our behalf. And as God, he is the coming Lord. This is what, what is happening in this passage. This is how Jesus is confirming his authority. The title of the Son of Man can only be given to the one who has been given dominion, an everlasting dominion in all glory. Secondly, this is how I think Jesus also confirms his authority. By commanding the paralytic to rise. The question that Jesus makes to the scribes here is, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? If you were to, ask, to be asked this question, what would you say? What do you think the easiest thing to say would be? If you were to ask me, I would say that to say your sins are forgiven is easier. And the reason why is because uh, there would be no way to verify it. There would be no way to prove it. I can just tell, hey, your sins are forgiven, but how would you know? How would we know? How would everyone know? Now, if we were to say, uh, rise, take up your bed and go, this would demand immediate proof. We would need to see that happening, right? You would want to see that happening in order to say, yeah, look at this guy. has authority. It's happening. But you see, I think that Jesus, when he says, son, your sins are forgiven, he's not choosing the easy way out. He's not doing that. Jesus knew that it would be easier, way easier for him to say, rise, than to say your sins are forgiven. And that is because in this context of the passage, in that culture of the passage, it would have been just easier for Jesus to say, get up and walk. And the reason is because to forgive sins is to claim that he is God. And that is what's happening in this text. He knew, Jesus knew the cost. He knew that it was going to cost him his life. He's claiming to be God and he's forgiven sins. So it would be way easier to say your sins are forgiven. But I love what what Jesus does uh, after this. This is how Jesus... Demonstrate his authority. Let's read verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man, that is him, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately he picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I don't know about you, but I'm seeing like, wow, Jesus does have authority. (laughs) I I can imagine just him, just, I'm ready to drop the mic here. Rise, and he rose. This is what I want you to know this morning. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So this morning, please, friends, please know this. That Jesus knows our need. 
And Jesus has the authority and the power to not only forgive our sins, but meet our needs. So this morning, if you are here, or here and if you feel disconnected or distant from God, be reminded of this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Jesus knows our need and he wants to meet our needs. He wants to meet us in our weakness. And he's not asking us uh, to come back when we're ready, when we're clean. No, he's inviting us this morning to come as we are. He wants to meet our needs. We have an invitation to trust in Jesus' authority and to be amazed by Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we recognize that there is no greater need that we have than the need that we have of Jesus. And Father, we know that whatever we think that we need tends to dictate how we live. So help us see the need that we have for Jesus. That through your spirit, you would shape us to become like Jesus. To be shaped into the image of Jesus. Would you do that work in us this morning? Would you empower us to be like this friends? That we would be bold with our faith. Would you do that work in us this morning? We love you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Sebastian.